Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the pastor's study. Let me tell you a story, true story. One day death was coming down the road, a funeral procession. Young man had died. Behind the coffin are his mother, widowed mother, crowd of, of mourners, very sad. Death is coming down the road. Coming up the road is eternal life. Jesus and the 12 disciples and life and death are going to collide. And here's what happens. Jesus sees this widow, goes up to her, don't cry, puts his hand on the coffin, stops it and says, young man, I say to you, arise. The corpse sits up, Jesus gives him back to his mother, and the crowd says, God has visited his people. End of story. What I want to do is go back through that story and learn all that we can about Jesus and your funeral. Would you take out a Bible? Turn in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus and the widow of Nain, Luke chapter 7. And let's pray before we begin. Lord, we do pray for everyone watching this program that if they're not ready for their funeral, that you would help them come to you, Lord Jesus, and be ready for that last day. Speak to us, Lord, now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. I want you to notice that this poor widow has three strikes against her. Number one, she's a widow. Back then, widows were dirt poor. Strike number two, she only has one son. Back then, you wanted lots of sons to take care of you in your old age. And then strike three, he's out. He's dead. So this lady is as, as destitute as you, can, and, as you can be. A widow only one son, and he's out. Look at the next verse, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Here's the main lesson of the story. Here it is. When you're down and out, Jesus has compassion for you. You know, when when we're down, often we think like maybe this widow was thinking, God, if you loved me, first of all, I wouldn't be a widow, and I certainly wouldn't have now a dead son. Where are you, God? And when we're down and out, our feelings will lie to us, and we have to ignore our feelings, and we have to say, well, I'm not going to listen to my feelings. I'm going to listen to the Word of God. And it says here, when you're down and out, Jesus feels compassion for you. I think it was in the early 1900s, a mine collapsed in Wales, killing 200 miners. They had a huge mass funeral. The bishop of the area got up to preach, and he said, 
In my Bible at home, I have a bookmark embroidered by my mother. And if you look at the wrong side of the bookmark, it looks like a mistake, just a, a tangle of threads. But if you turn it around, you see beautifully embroidered the words, God is love. And he said to the crowd, we are looking at this event from the wrong side. It looks like God made a terrible mistake. One day we'll see it from the other side and understand. So if you've had something horrible happen in your life, you might think God made a mistake. One day, maybe in this life, but for sure in the next, you will see God was showing his mercy. I visited a mental ward a while ago, a, a young man I knew who was having mental problems. So I'm talking to him at the mental ward, and this woman is just pacing back and forth, listening to us. <clears throat> Finally, when I got done, I'm getting up to leave, and she says, Pastor, can I talk to you? And I said, yes, and we sat down, and, well, my, psych my psychiatrist asked me, why are you in the hospital? And I told him, because of guilt. And he said, no, you're not in here because of guilt. You have, a, you have mental problems. She, says, she said, I know I have mental problems because of my guilt. And then she confessed to me, I committed adultery against my husband. And she told me her story, and we prayed, and she confessed her sin. She put her faith in Christ. I put my hand on her head, and I said, I announce to you the total forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, you know, you know I'll tell you, when you are down and out because you've sinned or because a loved one has died, Jesus wants to have mercy and compassion on you, but you've got to come to him. Look at verse 14. And Jesus came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him back to his mother. Fear gripped them all. Here's the next lesson. Jesus gets attention at a funeral. You know, I've done a lot of weddings, and they're fine, but you don't have people's attention at a wedding. They're thinking about the cake or the party or whatever. At a funeral, you can normally hear a pin drop. <laughs> Jesus gets attention at a funeral. Year, uh, way back in 1994, Richard Nixon died. Billy Graham preached his funeral. And what was interesting to me way back then, Europe doesn't go to church much anymore. It's very secular in Europe. You know what made headlines in Europe after Nixon's funeral? Billy Graham talked about what happens after death. And Europe kind of focused on Billy Graham's funeral sermon. <laughs> and, and, and that's my point is, Death has a way, funerals have a way of getting people's attention to Jesus. And then look at verse 16. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God. Here's the next lesson. God is glorified at every funeral. I repeat that. God is glorified at every funeral. Now, now you might think, well, he wasn't at my Uncle Joe's funeral. Uncle Joe was an atheist. And God wasn't glorified at his funeral. Yeah, he was. God is glorified at every funeral because at every funeral, God gets the last word. 
At a funeral, the abortionist doesn't get the last word. Hollywood doesn't get the last word. Planned Parenthood and the ACO, at a funeral, none of those people get the last word. God gets the last word at every funeral. And you have a choice. You can either glorify God at your funeral by people saying, hallelujah, he, say, he was saved, he knew Christ. Or you can glorify God at a funeral by people saying at your funeral, hallelujah, one less tongue to blaspheme God. But one way or another, for good or for ill, God is glorified at every funeral. I thought of Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche was an atheist German philosopher born in Germany in 1844. Nietzsche's father and grandfather were Lutheran pastors. Nietzsche hated Christianity. He termed the phrase, God is dead. Well, have you ever seen this graffiti on the wall? God is dead, signed Nietzsche. Somebody came along and underneath put it, Nietzsche is dead, signed God. God, one way or another, is glorified at every funeral. What I'm going to ask you to do is take some time, plan your funeral, and make, God is, make sure God is glorified at your funeral. It's amazing how few people plan their funerals. Voltaire was a famous French philosopher in the 1700s. After he died, his nurse needed another job. She heard of a job in London. They called her, would you be willing to come nurse this man who's dying? She said, is he a Christian? And they said, yes, why do you ask? Her response was, for all the gold in London, I will not watch another atheist die. I think of Stalin. I mean, Hitler was horrible. Stalin was maybe worse. Stalin was responsible for 15 million deaths. When he was dying, his daughter Svetlana wrote this for uh, Newsweek magazine. My father died a difficult and terrible death. God grants an easy death only to the just. At what seemed to be the very last moment, he suddenly opened his eyes and looked at everyone in the room. It was a terrible glance, insane or perhaps angry. Then he lifted his left arm as if he was about to bring a curse down on all of us. The gesture was full of menace. The next moment, he was dead. And God was glorified. One way or another, in every death, God is glorified. Look at verse 16. And the crowd said, A great prophet, Jesus, has arisen among us. And they said, God has visited his people. Here's the next lesson. Who is this who can raise the dead? According to verse 16, what's the answer? Jesus is God. God has visited his people. Let me just take a quick two-minute detour. Do you understand that Jesus is God and man? Follow this. Jesus is God. Jesus has always been God. He's always existed as God with the Father and the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Jesus has always been God. But then at a point in time, 2,000 years ago, God became a man because God had to be a man to pay for man's sins. So then G God, Jesus, became a man, and now he's the God-man. Now, did people understand that Jesus was God when he was on earth? Oh, they knew he was a man, but the, did they know he was God? I don't think that dawned on people till after the resurrection, and Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Last verse, verse 17. 
The report concerning Jesus went out over all Judea and in all the surrounding district. Here's the last lesson today. Let the report of Jesus be spread at your funeral. Again, plan your funeral. <laughs> I mean, I have a pastor. I can't tell you how many funerals I've done. Almost nobody plans their funeral. Plan your funeral. My mom was dying. I wanted to make sure the gospel got preached at my mom's funeral. Well, the, the preacher got up there and did an okay job, but then I got to get up at the very end. And at the very end of the service, and a lot of people showed up from my mom's funeral, from my dad's side of the family. I've been praying for those people almost all my life. I don't know where they're at spiritually. But I said, I held up a little gospel tract, and I said, if you don't know where you're going to go when you die, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, pick up one of these little booklets as you leave church. It'll show you how to receive Christ and make sure your sins are forgiven, etc. I, I think it was 86 of them I brought. They all went. And when I drove away from that funeral, that was one of the best days of my life. Make sure, plan. Make sure God is glorified at your funeral. And, and uh, uh, let me close by asking you this. How will God be glorified at your funeral? It's one of two ways. You can die like this. Here we go. Charles IX, King of France, who killed thousands of Protestants. Last words. What blood, what murders, what evil I have followed, I am lost, I see it well. Thomas Hobbes was an atheist philosopher in England. Quote, his last words, I am taking a fearful leap in the dark. You've heard of Thomas Paine, American revolutionary. He also was an enemy of the faith. Quote, his last words, O Lord, help me, Christ help me. O God, what, what have I done to suffer so much? But there is no God. But if there should be, what will become of me? If ever the devil had an agent on earth, I have been that person. The actress Joan Crawford was dying. Her housekeeper starts praying out loud for her, and Joan Crawford's last words, excuse the language, damn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. You can die like that. Or you can die like this. Martin Luther's last words, into thy hands, O God of truth, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. Martin Luther's wife, Katie's last words, I will stick to Christ as a burr to a topcoat. Queen Mary Stuart, who was about to be beheaded, before she was beheaded, she wrote this poem. 1587, O Lord God, I have hoped in thee. O dear Jesus, now free me. In cruel chains and bitter pain, I desire thee. Longing, moaning, and bending the knee, I adore you, I implore you, set me free. William Shakespeare, in his will, quote, I commend my soul to the hands of God, my creator, hoping and assuredly believing through the only merits of Jesus Christ, my Savior, to be made partaker of life everlasting. And last one is J.P. Morgan, American millionaire. I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having redeemed it and washed it in his most precious blood, he will present me faultless before the throne of my heavenly Father. You're going to have a funeral. I'm going to have a funeral. One last thing to say. Here's a man who was dying. He was troubled. Somebody asked him, what's wrong? And his response was, when I was a boy, some of my friends and I were playing in the country near a signpost. And we turned the signpost. And I have wondered on and off through these years, how many people did I lead astray because I turned that signpost? And my question for you is, when people go to your funeral, will they say, yeah, he led me astray, 
or will they say, he led me to Christ? Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, let's talk about funerals a little bit more. I find this interesting. As a pastor, do you find that most people have planned their own funeral? I'm going to guess one in ten. That's pretty low. It is pretty it? low. And but you know, some of the people that you you know and I know that have died, some of them, I want this hymn, this hymn, this hymn. I mean, they've got a here's what the scriptures I'd like, pastor, etc. And I think we should we should plan our funeral first of all to make sure Christ is the center of our funeral. And I mean, I've got a lady, Jackie, who's in her 90s. She's called me. She's planning her funeral. She wants to make sure I preach at it. And, she, and so I would encourage people, make sure, like I did at my mom's funeral, make sure you've got some gospel tracts to hand out afterward, that the preacher knows to preach the gospel. Uh, it's important to plan. Well, I guess, but how should I plan my own funeral? Mm -hmm. I mean, what should go into it? Do yeah. you think in terms of who you're going to reach right. or who... I would go you right. want people to remember yeah. you? Jackie, if, if I have a, when my funeral comes, I want them to sing the best salvation hymns you can think of, like How Great Thou Art or What a Friend We Have in Jesus. You know, these hymns, because I want my loved ones who come who don't know Christ to hear the gospel. So I would choose the most basic salvation uh, song. And then, Jackie, you have a, you have a talk with whoever's going to do your funeral and say, you know, I've got loved ones that don't know Christ. Make sure to preach the cross. Because sometimes you go to funerals and they preach how good Uncle Joe was. Uncle Joe wasn't good. He's like me. He's a sinner. Christ is what saved him, not Uncle Joe's goodness. You've got to make sure the preacher does not sell out the gospel in, at a funeral. <laughs> so I guess, Pastor Brock, my question is, should a person take the time to actually write down what they want for their own funeral? I think they should. And, and, and I'm being convicted because I haven't. But, yes, I think we should do that. Well, I think it's a hard thing for people to think about, yeah. especially if you're not ill or anything, yeah, but indeed. we never know the day or the well, time or the hour. I have told a certain person, I, I told uh, Tom Parrish, who's the pastor at Hope Lutheran now, I told him, Tom, I want you to do my funeral. Because I, I don't want a preacher to do my funeral who doesn't have the sense to preach the gospel. So 90% uh, of it is make sure you... F you find a preacher who's going to preach the gospel at your funeral. But what if you get buried at a church where you want somebody else? Yeah, the, Is that an easy thing you, to You manage? know, I would, uh, yeah, because, uh, again, the churches, Lutheran church can be wonderful. It can be horrible, depending on who the pastor is. So I guess you do your research and have a backup plan if, if pastor number one dies or something. Yeah. And you're saying, like, it's okay to pick out what you want for Scripture? Yeah. Like, and I... How about I, music? Uh, it is. It, now, I think you should have Christian music at a funeral. I mean, I, sometimes they'll say, can we sing uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy? I'm thinking, at a funeral? Yeah, but he liked that song. Yeah, this is a Christian funeral. <laughs> so I would pick Christian music. Yeah. Okay, but if a person wants God to be recognized in the relationship you've had with God and Jesus Christ and what he's done for mm -hmm. you, you would probably pick music. You would, yeah. That would be that yeah, way. you would. All right, you also have talked about the Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity yeah. again? Right, everybody. The, the Bible teaches there's only one God. 
but in God are three equal and eternal persons, God the Father who made us, God the Son who died for us, God the Holy Spirit who lives in us. People can go to church for 50 years at a church that believes in the Trinity and not quite get the fact that Jesus is eternally God. They, gotta, they, they know he's the Son of God, but that he's God, the second person of the Trinity, they don't get. And, and it, let me just say this. Okay, it, Jehovah's Witnesses who deny the deity of Christ, at your doorstep they'll say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And our response is, okay, the word isn't. The concept is. And you've got Jesus' last words on earth. Baptize them in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A lot of scripture talking about Jesus. Everybody believes the Father is God. Lots of verses talking about Jesus is God. Some verses talking about the Holy Spirit is God. Put it all together. Call it what you want. But there's one God in three persons. But it's hard for some people to accept that because you hear the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you think of them as three entities. Yeah. And here's where it gets confusing. And you know what? The reason I believe in the Trinity is because it is confusing. If, if God made perfect sense, I'd be suspicious somebody dreamed up that concept of God. But because the Trinity so boggles the mind, it makes me think it came from heaven. And, but here's where it gets mind-boggling. Even though there's only one God in three persons, and all three persons are always in unity, there are distinctions among the Godhead. God the Father did not die on the cross. God the Son died on the cross. So there's distinctions, but there's still one God. And I think ultimately only the Lord knows some of this stuff, how it works. So what do the cults believe about the Trinity? Um, or yeah, do the, they believe in the well, Trinity? Well, like the cults of Jehovah's Witnesses reject the Trinity. They reject that Jesus is God. Mormons believe in thousands of gods, so in that way they reject the Trinity. Um, the Unity Church believes that we are God. The New Age movement teaches that we are God, so who needs the Trinity because we're God. So th that's where the cults would come down. Okay, so if we're talking about Jesus is God, is there one verse or several verses yeah. in the Bible There's that we should... L let me give you the big ones. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, Jesus was God, and he became flesh. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. God the Father calls Jesus in that chapter God. So Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, uh, John 1. You can go to places like Philippians 2. Jesus, though he, the fullness of God, he, uh, he was uh, in the form of God, emptied himself and became a man. So there's, there's a number of verses, but when the Jehovah's Witnesses are at your door, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, John 1. And they've got ways around those verses, but not good ways. Yeah. Okay, Pastor Brock, I've read a couple of books in the last few years of death experiences. Mm -hmm. Do you think that these stories where people claim they've died and gone to heaven and come have back. come back yeah. are true? I think some of them are. I don't think all of them are, but I'm guessing some of them are. And only the Lord knows because, you know, your last moments, you can also have the devil slip in. I mean, there's a, there was an awful book called Embraced by the Light by a woman by the last name of Edie. And Jesus takes her all over heaven and shows her all the, the, the heaven. And then she says, and then Jesus said something to me. You know, the people down on earth, they're wrong. They think I'm God. I'm not God. And then she comes out with like a Jehovah's Witness view of God. And I'm thinking, if somebody, Paul says, if somebody has a vision or an angel from heaven uh, teaches you a Christ that I didn't teach you, they're not from the Lord. So you can have a, and you know, was she sincere? Either she was making it up or maybe she was sincere. But anytime you put your visions or your thoughts above the Word of God, 
Bible says Satan can appear as an angel of light. If Satan floats into your bedroom and says, Jesus isn't God, but he looks like an angel, that's not an angel, that's the devil. But I guess, how do you reason if God takes you to heaven that he le allows you to come back? I mean, well, I, that would be a hard... It, it would, but you know the reason I think it may be, Paul said about himself that God let him go to heaven and then he came back. Now, the Apostle Paul, we're not him, but if it happened to the Apostle Paul, I think it's possible it happens to us. But like, like I say, Jackie, you've got to test everything against the written word of God. And if you get a vision from God that says Jesus isn't God, well, the Bible says he is. Okay, I, I guess it, it's really hard for me to imagine getting to heaven and, having to come and then back. coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, unless God does it for a specific reason mm -hmm. so that you can save others. Do something, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Do people go to heaven right away when they die? Or, you know, we also have Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. Do you sleep until Judgment yeah. Day? I yeah. mean, wh what's you know, the feeling? I've been a pastor over 30 years. Of all questions I get, I've gotten that question more than any single question. Is Grandma in heaven now, or is she sleeping till Judgment Day? And the Bible kind of teaches both, so both are true. And here's the way I put it together. When you die, your spirit goes to heaven. I think my grandma Loski is in heaven, conscious with the Lord. But in one sense, she's sleeping in that she doesn't have her perfect new body yet. When Jesus comes down in the clouds, we're all raised. It's called Judgment Day, Resurrection Day. That's when we get our perfect new bodies. So the saints in heaven right now, their spirits are in heaven. But I don't think they have their perfect resurrection bodies until the last day. So do they come back and go I think up so. with all when of us? When it talks about Christ returning at the second coming, it talks about the saint, the holy ones coming with him. Uh, that could mean the angels, but I think it could mean the saints. Okay. Know. As long as we're talking on death and still have a little bit of time left, um, will you know your loved ones in heaven? You know, I think I will, because Jesus said, you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. Well, I've never seen them. But according to Jesus, I'll know there's Abraham, there's Isaac and Jacob. So I think I'll know there's Grandma. I think you will. I, you know, that verse has always bothered me, and maybe it's kind of a funny little feeling, but when you say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's not pictures of them who they really looked no, like. So no, no. how does that work that I'm going to recognize yeah. them? It has to be supernatural knowledge God gives us. You bet. Okay. I guess one more question on this then, real quickly. Mm -hmm. In heaven, am I going to be aware of family who didn't make it in, and in, are in hell? You know, I don't think, people say, well, we won't because there's no sorrow in heaven. They may be right. I don't know any verse, though, that would answer that question, yay or nay. So on that one, I just say, the Lord knows. Tom, 25 seconds yeah. left. Anything you want to tell well, anybody? Well, let's just ask everybody, keep praying for our ministry, if you would. We're on nationally now. And if you'd like to see our TV show and, or, or refer this to somebody, you can watch our shows for free at pastorstudy.org. Pray for our Yeah. And pray, pray for our ministry. And if the Lord leads you to support us, pastorstudy.org. And God bless you until next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.